Hey listeners, did you know that Yogi Triathlete offers endurance coaching for body and mind? We offer personalized training plans for endurance sports, wellness and mindset, nutrition and recovery guidance, and race preparation and strategy, all within the supportive community of Team Yogi Triathlete. So if you're ready to conquer your fitness goals and push your limits, our endurance coaches are ready to guide you on the journey to peak performance. Go to yogitriathlete.com today to set up your free 30-minute discovery call and embrace a future of strength, stamina, and achievement. Your goals, our experience, the perfect match for unstoppable success. One of the things about lifestyle medicine that we often don't really get a chance to touch on in our visits, one of the tenants is stress, right? But everything we've talked about can help with stress, right? The pranayama can help with stress. Yoga can help with stress. Resonance breathing can help with stress. The foods that you eat can help lower inflammation in your system, can help lower your stress levels. Going for a walk, going for a run, going for a bike ride, going for a swim, doing something athletic can help with stress. Especially in the current times that we're in in the United States, everybody is just like right on the precipice of just being out of control. So bring it back down a notch, right? Maybe put your social media down and connect with a person face-to-face. Go for that walk. Sign up to do something with someone to encourage yourself to keep moving so you've got a connection, but that can help lower your stress, right? Because now you're connected to somebody. That's what I would encourage. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are your hosts, Jess and BJ, and it's been three years since we connected with the incredible staff of doctors and founders at Love Life Telehealth, formerly plant-based telehealth. Love Life offers virtual integrated medicine in all 50 states, leading the convergence of nourishing food, evolved medical care, and precision wellness. It's been such a pleasure to interview these physicians over the years, but also to see athletes on Team Yogi Triathlete and listeners from this podcast community seek care through Love Life to improve their overall health and longevity in sport. Today, we welcome Love Life Telehealth Dr. Carrie O'Connor to the show. Carrie is an osteopathic physician, board certified in family medicine. She is a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine and the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. She is a certified yoga instructor, pranayama educator, and certified in plant-based nutrition through Cornell and medical nutrition therapy through Columbia University. Dr. O'Connor has been an avid athlete most of her life, and she is passionate about promoting a whole foods, plant-based diet and lifestyle medicine because she has seen the benefits in her own lives and in the lives of her patients. It's been a minute since we've interviewed an esteemed member of the Love Life Telehealth. So without further ado, let's jump in. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real privilege. It's so great to have this collection of doctors uh, come on and share their insight for us. And, and I think it's good that we had this kind of space here so people can resonate and and sort of soak up the doctors that have been on, but now we get you. Uh, so thank you for being here. Um, you're an athlete. Uh, where did that start? Like, where did let's go back a little bit and 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 see where that started, and then into uh, your yoga lifestyle. So I was when I was uh, an age group swimmer when I was younger and very very good. And then um, you know life takes a twist and a turn when you're a kid, and I sort of stopped in junior high and high school. I often wonder today if I had stayed with it, where it would have taken me, but I picked it back up in college. I had done a little bit of running and it's kind of half-hearted, but I had some injuries and I got back in the pool, swam on the college team. 
it was like division three, not nothing great. I wasn't that great. Um, but every time in my life that I've kind of gotten injured, I've always gone back to the pool and I've always gone back to what I've inherently known. Like I, you know, I was an equestrian for a while and, um, you know, gymnast when I was younger and ballet, you know, so I was always involved in something physical, something very, very athletic, but a couple of things really stuck with me and it was running and swimming. And in med school, I got back in the pool and started swimming. I swam the leg of a triathlon for a team actually happened to be, I think the Norton, Missouri national guard. And I just kind of continued with the swimming, um, during residency fell away a little bit, but I was doing some more running and training and then um, when I got out of residency, I um, went to work, didn't have a lot of time for working out, but I just was gravitated back to the pool again and sort of through a convoluted series of events, ended up um, two years after residency joining the army. And this is really where my athletic prowess and ability really matured. Um, my first duty station was in San Antonio, Texas and encountered a gentleman named Sean Dassey, who had done some work with the NFL and the NBA, and really taught me about functional training. So at this point, I wasn't really back in the pool, but um, had done um, quite a bit of functional training with him, um, running, you know, weight training. And then I was deployed when I was in the military, um, came back and actually ended up in Germany, which was sort of the next fortuitous thing in terms of athletics. And I ended up being trained by uh, two people who are just fantastic. One works with the Bundesliga, which is the um, National Soccer League, you know, or Football League in Germany, Andreas Schumacher, and um, really learned about um, just fantastic training that they do with some of the soccer players. And I was able to participate in some of that. But then another gentleman named Stefan Luf, um, LOEW. And if you look him up, he participated in Kona six times in the 1990s and runs a lifestyle uh, run, bike, um, and swim triathlon training in Germany, in Bavaria. So I was with him for about two and a half years and really taught me like how to mature into what it meant to train. So got back in the pool with him and ran and was doing a lot of lactate testing and just like hundreds of kilometers on the bike. I've never myself competed fully, like all three legs of a triathlon, but I've done all the training for it. But I've, d I've done the swimming legs for people before. And then um, uh, when I came back from Germany, I actually joined a swim team in Northern Michigan, um, coached by Kathy Coffin-Shirt. And she had, I think, swam for University of Georgia um, and had done some Olympic trials. The discipline was just amazing. I loved it. So I stuck with swimming for a while, um, was doing some more distance running on my own. Didn't do much cycling when I came back to the States here. Um, but it's it's really inherent to who I am, like being an athlete, like it's, it's important to me. It's physiologically important to me, mentally important to me. And it has carried me so far through so many difficult situations. Now I'm in a position where I'm recovering the last three years. I've had three major orthopedic surgeries, both shoulders and one ankle. So my competitive swimming's over. Um, but at some point I may get back in the pool, but that's kind of where I turn to yoga and we can, you know, get to that in a minute. Um, but it's just been a, a series um, of since I was younger, you know, of always being physically active, always sort of having the drive to do that. But it was, wasn't really until I matured into my adult years that I was so fortunate to encounter the people that I did that taught me how to train well, how to have the mental, um, the mental discipline and really what it meant. You know, it's not just go harder and faster. It's train smarter, not harder. Right. And it's, you know, it's not running 30 miles every single day 
you know, dead sprint or even doing a 5k as fast as you can out of the gate. It's about building your endurance first, building your stamina first, then working on your speed, working on your skill. You know, maybe you do a day of distance and a day of, you know, tempo, a day of sprints or hills, you know, but then you incorporate other things into it as well too. Um, and I, I loved the variety. My brain needs variety and diversity all the time. If I do the same thing over and over again, I get really bored with it. Um, so these people were so great and just fed that insatiable desire. And what I'm learning now is I have to do, I can only do what my body can allow me to do now with the injuries I've had and the surgeries. Um, but, uh, I haven't been still very long and, um, I don't do well (laughs) being still. So it's, um, I'm trying to find other avenues and other ways of being in that space and in that sphere. So what is that? What a story. Um, what is it about the pool that keeps pulling you back, um, before your shoulders now, but what is it that kept pulling you back? Even though this is what's interesting, you don't like, you like variety and you know, the, the different things in triathlon and all the sport, but you're doing lap after lap after staring at the black line over and over again. So what is it, what is it that's pulling you back? I think it's the one thing aside from just distance running and just going out and running, you know, 10 or 15 miles when I could do that. Um, it's the meditative aspect of it. It's the, it's the sound of the water. It's that repetitive sound of my breath. You know, it's that it's, it, it is very monotonous. It is very boring. Um, but there's something about the regularity of it. There's something about the discipline of like, I've got to get in three or four, 4,500 yards, whatever it is in this workout. And it's settling in and doing, um, because sometimes my personalities, I just want to, you know, I want to get over something. I want to get through it. I, I don't want to, um, I don't always enjoy the process. So swimming kind of like you have to, you have to be present in that process with every stroke and every lab and every set that you're doing. Um, so there may be a set that I don't like, but it's like, all right, after this is the set that I do like. Um, so, and I actually got into a while for like trying to create some workouts every once in a while, I would be the one where I could write the workout on the board and would do a little research or I'd be, you know, visiting another team because I was traveling. I'm like, Oh, this is really cool. Let's see if our team can do that. You know? Um, and I swim on a couple of different teams, one in Northern Michigan and one in, um, in new Orleans. And not that I was the greatest swimmer, but I definitely was much better as an adult than I was in college. Cause I had really matured into it and really understood it and had more discipline. And athletically, my body was a lot better because I had worked at it and I'd had really good people coaching me and training me. So um, it's a, a, a little off topic, but um, it's that meditative aspect of it. it. It really helped me settle my mind. It helped me to calm my mind. And if I had a really stressful day in the office, I could get in the pool and I could just work it out, right? You could just beat it out in the water. Um, so that really helped my mental health. Mm. It's interesting. You had said, you know, I often wonder had I stuck with it, like where I would have gone. But, you know, we never, we will never know that how that story plays out. But we do know because you stepped away from it, you were actually able to step into some pretty great potential in your adult years. And we've seen so many swimmers, whether they've been on this podcast or they've come to the team to start training for a triathlon that are just so burnt out from all the swimming through high school. I mean, I've even worked with some high school swimmers who are like, 
I don't think I'm even going to swim in college, even though they have this incredible talent because they're so burnt out from being in the pool. So, you know, we, we can look back, but we never really, we'll never really know that story or how it afforded you to step into you know, these, your adulthood potential as an athlete, and then meeting all these incredible people who taught you these fundamentals and these keys to training that, how did that inform you as a physician, as, you know, an adult making their way in the world? So I think there's got to be a little bit of that, like, we got to trust the way that it unfolds, but to stay stay curious. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's true. And I think it really has influenced my way as a physician. Um, maybe in some ways I've been a little myopic, like not understanding why not everybody doesn't embrace this, you know, <laughs> Totally. <laughs> what do you not understand about this? Um, but I have to understand too, people come from a very, you know, varied backgrounds and sometimes athleticism, like you said, they've been burnt out because they've been, you know, really run into the ground as a youth athlete you know, or it wasn't valued at all. And people think, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's like with yoga. It's like, well, I can't do yoga. And the analogy that many people have used with me before, it's like, well, um, and I use sometimes with, with students is, you know, before you took French class, could you speak French? No. So that you go to learn, right? And I think some people have the expectation that I can't do it unless I'm the best. And, you know, when I got back in the pool as an adult, it wasn't great. But I do remember very distinctly um, having swam for a while and one person that was on the team left for a while, they were traveling and came back and they're like, wow, you've really improved. Right. I didn't really notice it, but you know, other people did cause you stick with it, right. You stick with it and you get better and you learn more. I mean, there's still so much more. I, if I got back in the pool tomorrow, I would need a coach cause there's still so much more, you know, to learn and to know and to do, and you never know it all. You can never do it all. Um, but there is, I think, value in understanding what you have the capability to do and to push yourself to try and do that, right? There's a great validation in that. Um, There's um, uh, a great ability to build your own self-confidence where it may be lacking in other areas of your life. You're like, oh, I can do this one thing, you know? I couldn't, you know, do a downward dog or even, you know, do a forward fold with my hands on the floor when I started yoga a year ago. Oh, great, now I can, right? And I think sometimes too, when we when people talk about yoga or even athletics, it's not so much the, the metal or it's not so much the pose, but it's about what happens on the way to the metal. It's about what happens on the way down to the floor. Right. And that's what I had to learn. I had to learn that I'm still learning. Um, but it's embracing that process and understanding that process. And it is definitely not linear. Um, and there's going to be great days and there's going to be challenging days. But that's life, right? It really mirrors and reflects life. And I, I just think it's a great outlet um, and can do so much for people in so many areas, just, just working with what you have. And whether it's, you know, you become a walker or a runner or a ballet dancer, like you, you don't have to swim, bike and run, although they're great and I love them. Um, there are so many ways to really find what you can do, you know, and like, we all know the best form of exercise is the one that you're going to do, you know, the thing that's going to keep you interested. So. Mm. Yeah. You can't force like, I, I yeah, I, I love that. Like the one that you're going to do, you're going to gravitate to what you practice. If, if you don't want to do yoga, don't do yoga. Like don't do it. Like right. go out and go right. swimming. And I love that you had this lifestyle experience with swimming, biking, and running in, in Germany, because you didn't even, it wasn't for a race. Most people come to us 
and they want to train to get to a race, you were training as a lifestyle. And that's what we're trying to really embrace ourselves. And if we don't have, if we don't get that race at the end, it's okay. It's okay. What did we, what did we experience along the way? And I love that you just set it up as that was it. There was no race. It's just, this is the lifestyle. Right. So I, funny story. I, um, when I ran my first 10 K, I was, I was training with, um, the gentleman, Sean Dassey in San Antonio. And I was like, I'm going to run this 10 K. This would be great. You know, it's about six miles. I'm like, I can do this. And you know, I, I started out and I was following all the signs and everything was great. And halfway through, I was like, Oh, I'm almost done. And then I realized I was literally only halfway through. I was like, what? I have to do another three miles, you know? And that's where it's like, the egg started to crack open and I'm like, Oh, there's more to this than just, you know, put your shoes on and go. Like, so that's really where I started to develop it. And then when I moved to Germany, I realized athleticism is part of their culture. I mean, the middle of winter, you see people of all age groups out walking or hiking or running people running at night with headlamps on. I mean, it was totally foreign to me to have an entire culture embrace this. So that's really where the lifestyle, you know, what took root in Texas with Sean really began to flourish when I was in Germany. So. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful lifestyle. You know, we always say, you know, we're training, we're training today in our fifties because it feels good. And yeah, we have goals for 2024, but I also want to feel really good, as good as I possibly can at 85, at 90, you know, at 95, um, right. That there is a bigger picture. There's a future there. And perhaps when I was 30, I wasn't looking at it that way. But now that I'm 50, I most certainly am. What are you laughing about, I'm thinking BJ? about our investment. <laughs> investment I was cost. just thinking about that too. Our, he's like, what's, our, what's your plan? What's your plan moving forward? How, like, when's your life expectancy? 105, 110? We're like, oh yeah, let's, let's. Yeah, our, uh, our financial, our financial advisor right? has like our, our death date at like, I don't know, we're like 102 years old. And he's like, okay, we got to be putting more money away every month if you guys are going to live this long. But it's so true. Like lotion is motion, you know, or I mean, I'm sorry, I said that backwards. Motion is lotion, um, yes. right? You've got to keep moving, right? So after a few of my surgeries you know, where I had to be immobilized for four or six or eight weeks and starting back, super painful working through and I'm working through it with one of my shoulders right now because the surgery wasn't too long ago. Like I don't enjoy it, but I have to keep going because the alternative is immobility. The alternative is not being able to get back in the pool the alternative is not being able to get back on a bike or to be able to do that downward dog. And these are things that will lead to rapid decline, right? In your lifespan, if you are not moving, right? So we know being sedentary is not good for us. We know that social isolation is not good for us. Um, you know, so those two things, like if you get moving and you get moving with someone, those two things can help extend your lifespan, right? So you're engaged, right? You're creating a even if it's a tiny little pod of one or two other people, there's a, you know, that, that in and of itself is going to help extend your lifespan. There's a woman that lives near me. She's 80 and she belongs to the local hiking club and she's hiked over 19,000 miles. So I hike, I mean, she does five, six mile walks all the time. And so that's kind of how I rehabbed my ankle was I started walking with her. She's in incredible shape, Right. Um, and she's determined that every day she's going to get out there and do some, some mileage. Right. Um, and there's the goals and she's been doing it. I think since the 1980s or 1990s, she joined this hiking club where I live locally. 
it's a it's an amazing club and these people are in really good shape so it's nice to um it's nice to see her doing that her commitment the club's commitment and how they're working to preserve their health right to preserve their the health in their older years and and it starts now whatever age you start at it's great but just don't stop once you start and if you and if you start something you're like well that's not for me find something else there's just a variety of things you can do we have to keep moving. It's so important. We are, our bodies are meant to be in motion. They're not meant to be static. They're not meant to be still. Oh, that's such an important message because we were actually talking to one of our athletes the other night on the phone and she said, you know, there's some people who, um, you know, they have a race and they train for the race and then, and then they're done, you know, they're just on the couch. And she's like, but that's not me. Like, I don't even have a race on the calendar, but I'm still training. Like I would be training, you know, for a half Ironman or an Ironman. And it's that, it's that lifestyle. And I don't, I don't think people quite comprehend how detrimental that start stop is, you know, and that stop of just, of dropping all the momentum that it's, you know, and I, I, I think, you know, we see it probably a little more here at Yogi Triathlete because we are more, um, we're holistic. It's about the lifestyle. Uh, yeah, it's about the race and it's about getting faster paces and PRing and all that great stuff, but it's about the lifestyle. So it was a really beautiful testament to that, you know, in 2020, when I would say 97% of the athletes stayed on the team and kept training because they understood like, you know, to stop this momentum, even though there's no races, like it didn't register with them. It was like, of course, like if anything, we want to be more healthy than ever. Right, right, wow. right, right. You want to, cause you, there's a great unknown out there, but you want to continue the momentum so that when, you know, that starting line appears again, you're ready to go, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I think it's good for our self-esteem. I think it's good. You know, so many people live in so many adverse and difficult situations that if you can find something within yourself to help build up your own self-esteem, right. To help, to help validate yourself. So when you look in the mirror, you can be like, well, maybe work's not great. Or maybe my relationship with my family's not great, but I did this thing. Nobody else knows about it but I did this thing, right? I improved my, my 10 K time by three minutes or whatever, or I improved my swim time by, you know, 15 seconds or 30 seconds, or I improved, you know, my, you know, the, the, the miles that I can get, you know, on the bike, you know, I, I was able to ride an extra hour and, you know, I, I didn't collapse. I didn't, it wasn't the end of the story. Like I, it's what I did. Maybe nobody else knows about it. Maybe you just went out and did your own run but it's something that you did that you accomplished and that should be celebrated. Yeah. It's really what we're talking about here is we're really talking about your medicine that you practice and that you teach is lifestyle medicine. It's not just one thing, you know, it's, it's the workout that leads to a higher level of self-esteem, which leads to, um, you know, better, good feeling chemicals being released, released from the brain and better mental health. It's, it's this whole lifestyle piece. But before we dive into some of the medicine, I am curious to know how yoga walked into your life. Oh, that's a great story. So I was doing a lot of Pilates at one time. And when I moved, um, I had lived in Germany twice. And when I moved back, I, um, was it, the local gym. I, um, both times I was affiliated with the military and both times I never lived on, on base. I always lived uh, on the, what they call in the economy or lived amongst the locals. And that was so important for me to have that culture and that experience. 
So the gym I joined there, they had yoga and I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm not doing Pilates right now. So I'll try some yoga. And I encountered this yoga instructor. Her name's Gianna. We're good friends now. I still take a yoga class from her once a week. It's all in German. And, um, I've taken some yoga trips with them. And that's actually where I first learned yoga was in German. So I just would look around and be like, maybe that's what this word means, you know? And so that really kind of taught me the language. So just an incredible person, just the pace of her voice, the tone of her voice, the pace of the class just really resonated with my central nervous system and was so calming to me. So I stayed with her in Germany there about a year and a half, um, continued a little bit when I came back to the States here. And then with my, after my, um, when I first came back to the States, I lived in New Orleans and found just a fantastic yoga studio and continued there. Um, ultimately I didn't end up staying in new Orleans. Um, uh, so kind of when I, when I left there, I lost a little bit of touch with yoga, stayed online with my teacher, but then with my shoulder surgery, my first one, I thought this is an opportunity for me to really like, it forced me to slow down. It forced me to stop and sort of be present with myself. And while it was fun to like, Oh, I can do this pose and I can do that pose. I didn't really get it until I started teacher training. And I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I got to sit with myself. I have to be still. I, I have to like learn to be in my own skin and be comfortable with it. And so it was pretty challenging for me for a while. But I learned how to move my body through those injuries. I'm learning and I'm in a more advanced training now that will finish up in May. And I'm even at a deeper level now understanding like, oh, that's probably a pose I'm never going to be able to do. And while it may be aspirational for some people, knowing that that's probably not in my wheelhouse, what can I do in preparation for that? Like, what can my body do where I can still understand the meditative aspect of yoga? The, and that's really what, like with Hatha yoga, the positions really are positions of meditation, right? What can I do to slow down my own breath, to bring in the Ujjayi breath, the resonance breath? that, you know, and, and what can I improve along the way, right? My mental health, my heart rate variability, my central nervous system, my parasympathetic nervous system, my vagal tone, you know, all of that to really help me be calmer throughout the day, make better decisions, interact with people better, um, better reaction time, maybe not being as reactive, you know, but just being present and also understanding that, I can't control everything, right? We feel like, oh, we got this. We can handle it. You know, some things you just have to learn to let go. So, so the yoga really has taught me to be present with myself, to be present in a situation, to not be in such a hurry to get through it, even though it may be uncomfortable. Um, and then also, I think yoga helps you really learn how to interact with other people because you really have to get into somebody's space, right? In these teacher training programs, you're working with somebody else's body. And that's something that the osteopathic profession has taught us from day one. It's like being in somebody else's personal space, figuring out how to do that. And, and oftentimes you can feel like maybe physically something's not right with that person, but also mentally. So it sort of gives you a door and a window to just be present and allow if something comes up, like being present with that person, maybe helping them through it, maybe giving them an opportunity to present something that, that maybe they've not presented to somebody else. So I think it puts you in a unique position to be able to share 
multiple layers of a person that they may not show to somebody else being either being an osteopathic physician, you know, or being a yoga teacher. And it seems, they seem like unlikely parallels, but they're, they're very closely related, um, very closely related. So I, I think now it's a natural extension where, you know, 20 years ago, I may not have thought that, but I do appreciate it. And I appreciate everyone I've encountered in that space. Yeah. You, you, like most of us, we walk into that yoga studio and we want the workout. So you went from Pilates to <laughs> yoga, which was, okay, I want to move the body. And that's right. quite normal. That's, that's where we are. But there's, like you said, there's so many layers just to yoga. Like there's the breath and, and the presence and the mindfulness and the space opportunities and the, yeah. the thoughts that come in that say, when is this going to be over? I'm done. Like, I got to go answer this phone call or check this email. And I just love the the transformation that happens. And we see it too. And when we teach yoga, myself included, it's all about the physical at first. And then you move your way through yoga, whatever practice you, you experience. And then you, it's all about, I just want to find some space, some calm, some peace yeah. so that I can take this feeling that I'm feeling on this rectangle and bring it out into the world because it makes me feel good. Right. And I think too, it's also about non-self-judgment, right? So the thing in yoga that sticks out to me that has always resonated with me is um, the the yama of ahimsa, right? Non-harm. And so many times in the yoga mat, you know, we're like, oh, I got to keep up with the Joneses. Like, what's the person on that mat doing? Wow, she can do that. I'm going to do that too. And that's where we get into injury, right? That's where we, that's where our pride and our ego get in the way. And we have to really like shut that down and, or maybe not shut it down, but confront it and go, what's that all about? You know, cause it's not about what your neighbor's doing on the mat, but what you can do on the mat and no two days are ever the same. You know, your down dog today is not going to be the same down dog as tomorrow, at least for me. And it's like today it's not happening. Oh, tomorrow, maybe yesterday it was great. You know, it just depends. There's so many things that come into play. Um, but it's really letting go of that self-judgment, letting go of, I'm not as good as that person or, Oh, I'm better than that person. No, it's about what you're doing. And ultimately it's, if we can come into ourselves and figure out what we're doing and helping ourselves, we're ultimately going to be able to help others along the way. Mm. You know, we're ultimately going to be able to serve others. Um, because it's going to bring a healing to us. And when we have that, then we can help others heal. So that's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned through yoga. Took a while, but I'm getting there. (laughs) Yoga, and obviously we're big fans of combining yoga and athletics, right? Yes. There's no mystery there. Athletes are so tailor-made for yoga because athletes have this natural drive and will right to really embrace these practices because it takes in my experience it takes a lot of will and drive to let go of self-judgment to let go of comparison energy to not indulge in those thoughts about what that person can do and what my body can't do in that moment and it's so interesting i think the bigger picture of what i've experienced with yoga and athletics is that it takes the athlete, which is, you know, somebody who's striving and has goals and puts them on this little rectangle where competition is such a fruitless journey on the yoga mat. And, you know, goals are, are there, but it, 
But basically, I find that it just, it rounds us out. It gives us a, a new direction to direct that will, to direct our drive, to really step into what yoga is guiding us to, which is our potential. Right, right, right. And one of my yoga teachers along the way, I know, uh, has really crystallized something for me, which really opened my mind to a lot of what yoga has to offer is so many people think, well, it's, you know, it's an idolatry or it's, it's a religion or it's this or it's that. It's whatever your higher power is, right? It's coming into your ultimate higher self through your own higher power, right? Whatever that higher power is. And that to me was like, it just kind of broke things open for me on another level. It's like, right, of course, right? And for everyone, each one of us, no matter your, you know, your spiritual or your religious upbringing, that means something different to all of us. And I don't have the right to impose my beliefs on you. And no one else standing at the front of the room has a right to impose their beliefs on me. But if on that rectangle, on that mat, if I can come into my better self through my own higher power, then the whole world is better, right? I'm better. The people around me are better. And again, it's about non-judgment. So I, and I go back to that principle of ahimsa, right? So non-harm, non-harm to others, non-self-harm. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it starts, it starts with you. Like what you see in the world right. is all your, is all through your lens. So you got to start working on you or hmm, yeah, it's going to be a rough road. Right. Yeah. It's easy to point, you know, to point at somebody else and go, Oh, they're not doing that right. But I know how to do that. But really, am I really doing it right? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very, very humbling. Very humbling. Yeah. That's the word I was thinking about too. Like for athletes that it, it actually brings us, uh, a, a quality of like meekness mm. of, of being humble. And I think that that's a really powerful quality to embrace, but it's subtle, you know, and you don't, yeah. you don't necessarily understand that power until you are in a situation where, you know, you are humbled and you fall into acceptance of that. It's, it's so, so powerful. Um, so speaking of non-harm, um, Tell us about your whole food plant-based story or just your plant-based story. Like what was your diet look like prior to, you know, going plant-based? So I, I grew up standard American diet, you know, and when I was swimming and, you know, when I was younger or even in college, you know, it was, you're hungry, you eat Little Caesars pizza and a box of Dunkin' Donuts. It's like the whole box, you know, it's not just one. <laughs> And I've always had a voracious appetite. I've always been blessed with a fairly good metabolism. Um, But I can eat a lot, even now, um, not working out as much as I used to. So I have to be careful. But I had kind of worked over the years of just sitting back and sort of watching and evaluating certain things in my life. In about the mid-1990s, and this was long before I ever thought about medicine. Medicine's a second career for me. Um, so in the mid nineties, I started to clean things up. I was like, all right, the processed foods have to go. And it's just kind of how I felt physically. And then, um, you know, you, I, I went to med school early two thousands. I finished med school, 2005 residency in 2008. And I was working out, but still eating, you know, what everybody today says is clean, you know? Um, and really kind of watching things. And I had moved to Germany in 2012 
when I was the first two years, first year and a half in the military, you know, I was deployed for part of that dining facilities, not great. You know, I think they try, um, but not great. So limited options. And I was, and I started to pay attention more to the food, more to, um, the weight of service members. Um, the, I know that we use BMI. BMI is not great because some people are very muscular and athletic and have a high BMI. So it's not a great representation, but you can just look at somebody's body habitus and their body shape. So I started to pay more attention to that. And then, um, I had started to follow on my way to Iraq. I was reading, um, uh, I think it was, um, born to run. And it was the book on running and the Tarahumohara. And I was like, well, what is this about this plant-based eating? And at that time, I think rich roll was starting to percolate to the surface in my life. And, um, I knew about Scott Jurek and I, and I literally in my head, I was like, these guys are crazy. I thought, I mean, they're out in crazy land. And I, and it was in 2013, I remember being in a dinner and I was like, I'll never be plant-based. You know, I thought people were crazy, but a month later, it was in August of 2013. I went by myself to a trip to Edinburgh, Scotland for a week. And I remember getting off the plane and I thought, well, if I'm going to be whole food plant-based, if I can do it here in a week in a country I've never been to a city I've never been to, and it was just kind of an open-ended vacation. I didn't really have any plans. It was sort of like fly by the seat of my pants. I'm like, if I can do it here, I can do it everywhere, anywhere. And I did it there and I never went back. So it was from that point. So I did it mostly to see if I could fuel myself as an athlete on a whole food plant-based diet. And I found that I could, my mental health was better. I felt better. Uh, about eight months later, my cholesterol was fine. I say quote unquote, according to like the current standard, you know, in traditional medicine. But about eight months later, they had, my cholesterol numbers had just dropped. I mean, to where the levels are should be to prevent and reverse heart disease um, that we know today. And then I began my journey of, I did the T. Colin Campbell program. I got involved with uh, Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, um, got involved with Columbia University, um, you know, their nutrition program. And I just started to build from there. So 10 and a half years later, I've never gone back, but I've learned all the way. I didn't, it wasn't an overnight thing. It's been 10 years of, I've taken online cooking classes because I didn't know how to cook. So it's been 10 years of developing and evolving and working with patients. And it was through myself, my own health, my own numbers. Um, I had a patient in the fall of 2014 who had an A1C of 13.1 or 2. I forget the number, um, but agreed to go on a whole food plant-based diet for 90 days and did it and dropped his A1C to 5 in 90 days. So right then and there, I remember writing Neil Barnard at PCRM, and I was like, Neil, this works. He's like, of course it works, you know? <laughs> so that was, that was like my real big aha and confidence, like put that stake in the ground that this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be when I grow up. So then studied for the obesity boards, the lifestyle boards. And since I've been with, um, you know, plant-based telehealth, now love.life telehealth, I've learned so much more. And I've had a chance to implement it and practice it with more and more patients and it's, it's really the way to be. It is the lifestyle, right? And if I, not everybody's willing to go 100%, but if I can get them 90 to 95% of the way there, you know, if we can just, I'm very foundational, very pragmatic with patients. Like, where are you right now? Where can we build from there, right? Instead of being, oh, how dare you? It's like, oh, okay, that's where you're at. Let's figure out how to get to where you want to go, right? And oftentimes, similar to yoga, it's, they don't even know where they're at, right? They don't know where they're at on the mat. So I have to bring them back to like, we have to slow down. You have to listen. Where are you now? 
And you have to know where you are now to get to where you want to go. Because they're like, well, I want to be here. Well, how are you going to get there? You got to know where you're starting from. So, so I look back over those last 10 and a half years and sort of that dare that I took and how it has just enriched my life so much. And hopefully, you know, I pass on some of that inspiration of patience. Sometimes I think I can get a little bit overzealous. I, you know, cause I'm so passionate about it. Um, but, but it really does change lives and you, you don't need super fancy stuff to do it. You just need to start and you need to just like training for a triathlon. The biggest thing is you have to show up and you have to be consistent. You have to be consistent and it may be two steps forward, three steps back. But as long as you're still marching forward, there's going to be setbacks. You just keep going, right? And if you fall off and, you know, you're like, I can't do this and I'm a failure because whatever, you know, I try and encourage patients not to have those thoughts. It's like, oh, we're human, right? We have desires, we have tastes, we have cravings. Okay, so you ate whatever yesterday. Today's a new day. Let's start over. Um, and not too long ago, a couple of years ago, I came across an acronym that's not attributed to me to someone else, but fail just means first attempt in learning. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And I try and share that with as many patients as I can, right? Again, and going back to Ahimsa, be kind to yourself, have some self-compassion in the process. And um, yeah, so that's sort of a long-winded version of how I got to where I'm at today oh, with whole food plant-based eating. That's an incredible story. And I'm glad you touched upon like... Um, you know, uh, weight loss. And I know that you, um, are diplomat on the American board of obesity and weight loss is, you know, it's, it's some, it's like a magnet, right? Like people, if, if they're not satisfied with their bodies, they're going to look for weight loss. And there's other ways of eating that will get them that short-term weight loss, carnivore diet, keto diet. And I'm wondering right. if you can if you can explain a little bit about the mechanisms of eating that way, why you know we are seeing weight loss, but then what are the long-term what, what's really happening there? Um, and it kind of again, like zooming out to the bigger picture, like what is actually happening there? They're removing uh, carbs and and really diving into these animal products. What, what's going on there? So with the all carnivore, that's pretty interesting because you're not getting any fiber, right? So we know that lack of fiber is directly linked to colon cancer, right? And con- consumption of red meat is linked to colon cancer. So people who live in like um, some countries within Africa, the continent of Africa, have really low to almost non-existent rates of colon cancer because the amount of fiber they get in their diet every day, right? Um, Carnivore diet is also devoid of phytonutrients, of some of the vitamins and minerals. And oftentimes the people say, well, I'm getting my B12. Well, the B12 doesn't come from the meat, right? It's from the bacteria. The bacteria produce the B12. And it has been shown in studies that people on a standard American diet are still deficient in B12. So I think the concern for, you know, as a physician is, you know, the lack of fiber and the risk of colon cancer. Um, The other is what is happening to the endothelium in your vessels. You know, Dr. Clapper's talked about this. Dr. Esselson has talked about this. Just the inflammation that's created in your vessels, right? So the linking to heart disease, high cholesterol, atherosclerosis, you know, that would be a concern. And same with like the ketogenic diets, those extreme diets are really meant for people with refractory epilepsy, um, but they, their lives were shortened, right? 
they died early deaths because their, their diets were 96% fat, um, which is, we know is not compatible with heart health. Um, it helped their seizures, but there were some other untoward effects um, in terms of health and outcome. So these modified ketogenic diets, can people can lose weight. You can lower your A1C. Um, but two years out, there's not a lot of good statistical data because there's lean body mass loss, which you don't have with a whole food plant-based diet. Um, a lot of the weight loss initially is water weight loss because we know carbohydrates hold water, right? It's a carbon, a hydrogen, and an oxygen, right? So it's a carbon with a water molecule. It's a hydrated carbon. And um, so they're losing, so people on the ketogenic diet are losing, you know, water weight. They're also losing lean body mass. Um, and the higher fat portions also are contributing to um, higher cholesterol, right? So affecting heart disease. But it's also creating a state of insulin resistance, meaning when you go to eat carbohydrates again, your body does not know how to process them. Um, and so and a lot of people say, well, I eliminate carbs. Well, anything that's not meat really is a carbohydrate. So your apple's a carbohydrate, right? Your lettuce is a carbohydrate. You're, you know, and, and people develop these, um, for lack of a better word, just these fears or these like um, weird isms about foods. Like somebody out there that's super flashy on the internet's like, oh, lectins. If you cook the beans, there's no lectins, right? So you're going to get your fiber. You're going to get your protein. You're going to get a stabilization of your blood sugar. You're going to get um, a lowering of your cholesterol, right? So these plant-based diets offer so much more that you can get without the untoward side effects, right? So you're going to maintain your body weight, um, you know, and you can lose weight. You're going to help your cholesterol, your blood sugar, um, your endothelium, right? Eating the greens is going to produce the nitric oxide, um, which by the way, some pranayama can do as well too. You know, the nasal breathing, producing the nitric oxide, which is good for our endothelium and our vessels. So I worry that some of these diets and extremists, right? People are sort of falling at the altar of some of the influencers without really looking at the data. And I and really closely looking at the data. There's one program out there that I know of that in order to achieve the results, they had to put people on metformin, but that was in the fine print that most patients are not going to read, right? And I heard two physicians from Canada, I think it's called Talking with Docs on YouTube recently, and they said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And and I really follow that. Like I I want to be with patients very pragmatic. And it's like, you know, look, there's there's a lot of what I call sexy cells, you know, out there on the internet, but you have to really do the research and the reading yourself. Look for the evidence, you know, getting healthy is, is being very pragmatic. It's doing those, you know, the basic things that are going to get you to your goal, but being consistent with it every single day. Um, and I've often had people come with bags of like 25 different supplements that they're taking no evidence for any of them. Like the, really the, there's good evidence for like B12 and D for almost anybody in the population, right? Whether you're whole food plant-based or not for various reasons, medications, health status, age. Um, so when people go into these different forms of extremists, I worry because oftentimes the path they've chosen to follow is going to cause more harm, but they don't see that in the, at the very beginning, right? They don't see that. And often they become so wedded to you know, this person or that person, um, that they shut everything else out. And I see that with patients consistently. And it's very tricky because I can say, well, 
I'm happy to help however I can support you on this path, but please be aware that these are the things about this program that are not supporting your current cardiometabolic health. And we're trying to get your cardiometabolic health over here, uh, but it's a very difficult message. And oftentimes um, it can be tricky because you've sort of insulted their guru, so to speak. And it's really tough. Um, it's really tough. So I try and be very gentle. I try and be very pragmatic. Um, and, and sometimes you, know, you do the best you can, but people, every person has a right to self-determination. My job is to try and help them and guide them. And if I can, great. Um, but ultimately, you know, if they choose a path, it's destructive. You know, hopefully they figure it out sooner rather than later. But some of those extreme claims and some of those extreme diets, you know, like keto and paleo and all this other, um, really can for certain people be, be very detrimental, um, very detrimental towards their health um, in, on many levels. So I hope that answers your question a little bit. Uh, absolutely. Is part of the consistency, because you mentioned that a few times and it's something we believe in as well, this consistency is part of that, like with the, the intelligence of our gut biome to sort of gravitate to the things that we're putting in our mouth. So if I'm eating a lot of ice cream, I'm going to really crave ice cream. And if I shift over to plants at first, it's probably going to be a challenge because you're not going to like the taste. Let's just say somebody hasn't eaten a lot of plants in their life for a while. And then they start introducing it and they don't like the taste of it. Isn't there uh isn't the consistency or part of that to help build the gut that actually says, okay, well now I'm starting to crave this stuff. I'm starting to crave broccoli. I'm starting to crave kale, but you just need to give right. it enough time. Is that, is that part of it? Yeah, that's part of it. And also your taste buds change, right? So your taste buds change. Um, you know, every few weeks you're going to get a turnover. Your taste buds will change. Um, your gut microbiome will definitely change, which is why I'm a proponent. You know, there's people like, you know, the tiny steps. Um, there's people like, you know, incremental changes. I'm sort of an all in black or white, cold <laughs> Turkey, you know, just do it and get it over with because then you're less likely to have those cravings, right? Mm -hmm. The first few days may be awful. And we've all gone through that. Like I personally I have a terrible sweet tooth, like terrible. So if I make something that's even plant-based, like chickpea chocolate chip cookie dough, and I'm like, I'll put part in the freezer and part now, or I'll share a part with someone in two days it's gone. Like I have no control over that stuff. So I can't have any of that stuff in the house. Like dates for a while for me, I was like, I was eating dates all the time. And then I realized I was eating so many dates and I've never in my life had trouble with my triglyceride level like ever. And I had it done a few months ago. Cause I mean, I was eating a lot of dates and it went up to 200. I was like, actually 205. I was like, that's not good. So I had to get rid of the dates, right? So now I'm doing a deep dive on like free sugars and dried fruits and why like, you know, so even moderation applies to that, right? There is no definition. Is moderation a half a cup? Is it one cup? Is it one donut out of a, you know, Dunkin' Donuts box? Is it six? Is it 12? Like what is, you know, there's no real definition. So, you know, so we as clinicians in the space, as physicians in the space are affected by the stuff that, that, that our patients are affected by, right? We're not immune to this. So I do deep dives on myself once in a while, which I'm currently doing right now, um, which has been very interesting. So uh, very, very interesting. So I'm like logging everything that I'm eating. I have a CGM that I'm wearing for two weeks and tracking my blood sugar because that gave me a scare after the triglycerides went up, right? So um, anyways, I got off track a little bit there. No, it's perfect. No, I love perfect. that. And I, I so appreciate your transparency, um, that, you know, 
just just because you're sitting on, you know, that side of the screen and you've got a patient on the other side of the screen doesn't mean like that you're perfect and that, you know, your triglycerides might not shoot through the roof because you've eaten too many dates. Uh, right. I really appreciate that, that transparency very much. So, um, I wanted to ask, uh, this, this hour has been flying by, which is so beautiful. And I, I expected that it would, um, pranayama breath. Uh, I was wondering yeah. if you could share, uh, maybe a little bit about what makes you passionate about the breath and, uh, and maybe like your favorite exercise right now. So I, my initial first teacher training, uh, for yoga was a couple of years ago and it, um, there were some deficiencies in the program. And I think the thing that, that concerned me the most was about the breath work. And I didn't really understand that there was breath work and there was pranayama being two totally different things. Although pranayama involves some breath work, uh, pranayama, as you know, is more, um, it's learning to increase the prana, the energy, the life force through restricting the breath, right? And then there's just breath work and learning how to breathe properly, like abdominal breathing versus chest breathing, which a lot of people do. So I got involved with Yoga Education Collective, which is through Eddie Stern and Robert Moses, which is amazing. And I took some pranayama classes. And at first, again, it forced me to like sit and be with myself. And what do you mean I have to put my hands on my belly and learn to breathe, right? That was so foreign. And wow, did it really expand my mind to the possibilities of how just belly breathing can calm my central nervous system, how it can really bring peace of mind. So, so honestly, resonance breathing, which is not technically pranayama, you know, so it's the, it's working more with the heart rate variability is probably the one I default to the most. Um, but I think Nadi Shodana is one of my favorite, like alternate nostril breathing is one of my favorite and Kapalabhati. I like, um, uh, you know, sitali or sitkari where you curl the tongue, you know, the cooling one, the cooling practice. Um, that's fun. That's just really interesting to me. That's, it's really fun. Um, and then the ones where you do some of the bandhas, right? Some of the breath work that requires like Mula Bandha and Uddiyana Bandha and Jalandhara Bandha, you know, th- the different locks and the different holds for the energy levels. Those are really interesting to me too, because it requires a certain amount of like, thinking involved it's not just reflexive it's like oh i have to you know combine my mind and my body at the same time so those are good but i I, my default is really resonance breathing because it's very simple anyone can do it um so it's like an inhale of five an exhale of seven you want that exhale to be about two seconds longer that's probably the one that i do most consistently with patients if i'm doing that with them um but i will go to nadi shodana sometimes too because it's just fun like trying to get people to figure out how to do that alternate nostril breathing and um, you know, and I don't really, unless somebody's more advanced, I won't do any of the holds with them. Um, uh, but, but doing the holds as well too, and understanding how we can really control our breath and our thought process. And again, our vagus nerve, our parasympathetic nervous system through the pranayama, um, just really kind of blew my mind. And so I'm kind of addicted to it now. How has that, just, just a quick connection. How have you been in the pool since you've integrated a focus of breath work and then get back in the pool? And have you seen a difference in the way that you hold yourself or is there more relaxing in that unfamiliar or familiar environment for you? But have you, have you sensed a difference? 
So great question. I've not been back in the pool. I had my second shoulder surgery at the end of April in 2023. So I'm coming up on a year. And she said, because of what was going on, it would take probably about two years to get my full range of motion back. So she's, she's not wrong. So I've not yet been back in the pool, but I had an inkling about two weeks ago. I said to somebody, I was like, oh, I want to get in the pool. I want to see what I can do. And for that very reason, I want to see if I can apply this breath work in the pool even though I may not have full range of motion of my arm, like what can I do and how can the breath work that I've done help me in the pool? So it's on my to-do list. I don't know when I will get there because I'm very like, you know, after two shoulder surgeries, there's a certain amount of fear in my brain that, you know, I'm like, ah, I just want to be really careful. Um, so, so we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see, but it is on my agenda. It's on my, it's on my list of things to do. Great question. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I think to more fully answer your question about consistency, I got a little sidetracked, which is very typical for me. You know, it's, it's going back to the foundation. So if you're starting a program, right, it's going, whether you're training, you know, athletically or nutritionally in the kitchen, you know, having something that's a reminder that brings you back to your baseline. Like I know um, someone who works at Plant Strong, Lori Kordowich, um, I attended one of their Plant Strong retreats two years ago, was so good. And she has a mantra, but first broccoli, right? So when she has a craving or she gets off track, she's like, but first broccoli, she has to eat some broccoli. So putting little like tripwires in your path to keep yourself consistent, I think really helps. It can really keep you on the path and be like, all right, I had that chocolate chip cookie dough, but next time I'm going to have broccoli because I'm going to get myself back on track, right? Because that's going to keep me consistent. It's going to keep me doing what I need to do to move forward. I love that. I, I love too. that. We just had um, yeah. we just had a woman here. It just thought about this. We just had a woman here who came in for a weekend and did a retreat with us. Just just an immersion into yoga, meditation. We cooked. Everything takes place at our little loft here, and we served up for breakfast. We did a quinoa bowl with fresh berries and nuts and seeds and some dried fruits, and then we put microgreens on top. And, Ooh, yeah. and a little bit of nut butter. And she was like, whoa, like we're putting greens on the quinoa. And she loved it. And she's been sending us pictures. She's making her quinoa bowls in the morning now. Yeah, it's just, it's incredible. We, but I, I love that, like, but broccoli first. And I think that that's, that's such a great tip too. Like we have a... Um, we have a cookbook and in our cookbook, we have a, it's called what the kale oatmeal and you're putting, um, as the oatmeal is just about done, you're just throwing a bunch of shredded kale in there and mixing it all up. So now you're kind of steaming the kale up. It's turning this gorgeous, vibrant green. And now you're getting all this kale in your oatmeal and it doesn't have much of a taste. So you don't really know it's there. Yeah. And the great thing about that is, um, when you, I tell patients do this all the time when they're wearing their continuous glucose monitor, eat what you normally eat then eat what you normally eat, but add greens to it because it will lower and stabilize their blood sugars. So for people that really struggle with blood sugars, adding greens to anything can really help and really make a big difference. Oh, I like that. That's so a great yeah. idea. Yeah, I love that. That's a good tip. Um, as we wrap this up, anything, any other tip uh, within any of the aspects of lifestyle medicine that you'd like to throw out there for our community um, of athletes? And, and there's a lot of people that listen to this that don't identify as an athlete uh, in this community. So I would think one of the things about lifestyle medicine that we often don't really get a chance to touch on in our visits, uh, one of the tenants is stress, right? But everything mm -hmm. we've talked about can help with stress, right? The pranayama can help with stress. Yoga can help with stress. Resonance breathing can help with stress. Going for a walk, going for a run, going for a bike ride, going for a swim. 
doing something athletic can help with stress because we know that stress and we're coming upon a heart health month starting tomorrow can lead to heart disease, right? Can lead to heart attacks, can lead to strokes, right? So, and especially in the current times that we're in in the United States, everybody is just like right on the precipice of too, well, too much stress, but of, of just being out of control. So bring it back down a notch, right? So maybe put your social media down and connect with a person face-to-face. You know, go for that walk. Ask your 80-year-old neighbor, like, you know, I don't want to do the six-mile walk today, but do you want to do a two-mile walk with me, right? Um, You know, sign up to do something with someone to encourage yourself to keep moving. So you've got a connection, but that can help lower your stress, right? Because now you're connected to somebody, so really working on the the foods that you eat can help lower inflammation in your system, can help lower your stress levels. So I would say, you know, if I had, if I had a chance to, I, I, you know, to do that all the time and talk to people about stress, I would. Um, so, so whatever you can do, and again, everything we've talked about here today can really help people lower their stress and kind of dial it down. That's what I would encourage. Amazing. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank you. I um, really appreciate your time. It's been so nice chatting with you. And I told you, you're the perfect guest for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for the opportunity. And I will promote you as much as I can in the best way I can and get the word out and let people know about you. And hopefully I can bring more doctors to your platform that you can interview. Oh, so. excellent. Oh, thank, thank, you. thank you so much, Dr. O'Connor. We really, really appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. 